Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790, as well as the Locked On SEC podcast, friend of the show. Really uh, just an all-around great sports guy. And Chris, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm a little depressed considering one of my favorite top ten movies of all time, The Blind Side, is a fake. It's a fraud. I'm, I'm a little depressed. I, I love the fact that our two guests today have opened up this when we welcome them in talking about this in The Blind Side. Our first <laughs> guest, Andrew Ellis, hated The Blind Side like I do, and then here you are talking about you're depressed. What do you make? We'll start there. What do you make of this story, Gordy? Because this is a... You know, I, heard, I remember uh, Michael Orr not liking the movie from the get-go, and that's when I started being like, okay, well, how do you not like it if it's about your life? Like, something's got to be off there. But what do you make of the latest development in all this? It's one of the greatest SEC movies of all time. It features Ed Ogeron, Nick Saban, Tommy Tuberville. I mean, it's, it's got everything you, you could want from uh, an SEC real-life storyline with actual real actors or real coaches playing themselves in it. Um no, I mean, it, look, it, it was a great movie. I mean, Sandra Bullock did a great job, but, you know, I don't know. If you believe what you're hearing here, it sounds like the Tuohys, maybe not such great people, and that uh, I, I find it hard to believe that it says that basically, and remember, um, you know, the book came out, and then the movie was based on the book, on the real-life story of, of the Tuohys and Michael Orr, but, like, when, when I read that the allegations are that they took the profits Two hundred twenty-five thousand apiece, and split it up four, you know, four ways. Like each family member, Sean and Leanne Tui, and then each of their kids made two hundred twenty-five thousand on the right, and Michael Orr didn't get anything. I just find that hard to believe. Like I, I need to see a paper trail. I need to see documentation that the movie is about Michael Orr. He didn't get any money from this. Like I, I, I don't know, man. It sounds it sounds a little fishy to me, but if it's true. Then yeah, they're real. Uh, they're, they're real not so great people. It sounds like the Tui family. So I don't know. I need I need more details. I need to hear the other side of this. But just a little disappointing. It, it, it's supposed to be one of these awesome, inspiring storylines, and uh, now it's turned out to be they're they're the villains here. Chris, NFL preseason going on, and we've gotten our first look at the rookie quarterbacks, the ones that were at the top of the draft: Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson. What did you think of the performance of some of the rookie quarterbacks that are looking like they're all three going to be starters from day one in the NFL? Yeah, very mixed bag. Um, I thought C.J. Stroud looked probably the, I don't want to say the worst, but like he only got two drives for the Texans. And, uh, you know, Laramie Tunsil didn't play. Titus Howard, their franchise right tackle, he's hurt. Uh uh, Mason, their their uh, left guard, like nobody played that game for the Texans, like on the offensive line. So CJ Stroud was running for his life from the first snap, and you know he forced the ball in there on third and long, and it was an interception. And so uh, I, I just chalked it up to you know he's going to have to go through his growing pain. Bryce Young, kind of the same thing, um, you know, for Carolina, their offensive line is not great. He had pressure in his face. A few throws I thought he was just off target on. But, again, a limited sample size, really small. Anthony Richardson is the interesting one because his first pass gets picked off going the other way. And then his passes after that, even the completions, I thought two of them were good. All the other ones were, like, high, very high throws, and the receivers are having to jump up in the air to go get it. 
Uh, I said coming into the draft, I thought Anthony Richardson, he had accuracy issues at Florida. I don't know how that suddenly just gets solved at the NFL level. And I thought wherever he got drafted, I said, I hope he has a really patient OC or quarterback coach, almost like quarterback guru that can really work with him and, and find, you know, uh, hone the fine details. I don't know if he has that in Shane Sykin. So, We'll we'll find out, um, but I, I think yeah, early early uh, reviews at least through limited preseason game one, all three guys didn't look that great. But I expect as time goes on, they'll they'll settle in, they'll develop. You know, it's amazing. We were diving into Trevor Lawrence's numbers today, his year one. They were atrocious, and a big part of that is because Urban Meyer was his head coach. Don't get me wrong, but you know he had like seventeen interceptions like 12 touchdown passes, he improved dramatically in year two. Year two, you know, 20-plus touchdowns and only eight interceptions. So, you know, it's almost like whatever happens this year with Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, it, it still is an incomplete grade. Like, we can't overreact to anything we see here in year one because look at how dramatically improved Trevor Lawrence was going from year one to year two. Uh, I think you just kind of have to have patience with all the rookie quarterbacks. Davis Mills actually looked better for the Texans, but nobody cares. They want to see C.J. Stroud. Yeah, that's like saying, you know, Felipe Franks looked really good. Yeah, but he's he's limited. Like that Davis Mills is limited. Like you're not you're not going to win a, a championship with Davis Mills. You might win a game. You know, that's kind of how it is. But um, yeah, I'm not. If there's if the Texans are starting Davis Mills, then they got bigger problems. I, I think you know this whole thing about. Oh, you sit C.J. Stroud and let him learn. No, BS. It's the NFL. You learn on the job. Go, go play. Go through your growing pain, and have a tough enough skin uh, that that you know that you don't let it kill you. Um, you know, there's some people that yeah that they crumble uh, at the first sign of not success. But you know, when I look at guys like Jalen Hurts, who kind of went through his growing pains his first year in the league with the Eagles, and look what he is now—a franchise quarterback who led his team to a Super Bowl appearance—I just feel like. You got to play your starter early, and then and then just you know get through the trials and the fires, and um, and just have patience. That's, that's all the fans and the coaches staff have, have to have patience. Well, and I think it's interesting with each and every team that draft a, a quarterback that they want to make their franchise quarterback. In the case of C.J. Stroud with the Houston Texans, it's like every team's different, but it's like there's an expectation. So it's like, what do you want to see like in this year? With C.J. Stroud, like what's what would you consider to be a good year? Is there stats? Is it something you just want to see? Something he does on the field? Like, what would you? What is the expectation for him essentially in year one? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I go back to the the Trevor Lawrence top, and, and again, Trevor Lawrence was number one, C.J. Stroud was number two, but you just want to see him. You want to see flashes, and we saw that with uh, with Trevor Lawrence in year one at Jacksonville. It was a lot of bad. But there was a lot of good also. And you saw some flashes and you went, oh, man, okay, that's, that's the guy we're looking for. That's the guy we drafted, you know, high in the draft. So, you know, with Stroud, you just want to see development. You want to see him learn from his mistakes. You know, we heard that the first day of training camp. You know, he threw a, he threw a pick and uh, was instantly going to D'Amico Ryan and saying, hey, what, what, what were you guys doing on the covers there? I mean, he's, he's willing to learn and trying to figure out and learn from his mistakes. His pick he threw in the game the other night. Yeah, man, in the post game, I know exactly what I did wrong. I, I, you know, I won't do that again. This is the NFL, all that kind of stuff. So, learn from your mistakes, go through your growing pains, but you got to show those flashes, right? You got to see the flashes of, of the great plays, man. I think we'll see that. 
Anything else that stood out to you from NFL preseason games over the weekend? Uh, I think the Saints are going to be better than I thought. I uh, watched a little bit of them on the NFL Network yesterday. Derek Carr and that Saints offense went right down the field and scored. And there's that guy, Michael Thomas, back, and it looks like he's actually healthy and going to play some football. And if that's the case, him with their first-round pick a year ago, a year ago Chris Olave, uh, they got a, a kid they drafted in the middle rounds, A.T. Perry, I think is his name, number 17. He looked good. And then they're pretty deep at tight end. They have this guy, Juwan Johnson, who was who was really good last year. Jimmy Graham, they resurrected his career. Uh, Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended the first couple of games of the season. But, man, he looked good. Fresh legs running up and down the, the Chiefs defense yesterday. And then Jamal Williams, their backup running back, who you know was a starter in Detroit and you know was a backup in Green Bay. He looked pretty good as well. So, yeah, I uh, Saints caught my eye yesterday. I said, man, Derek Carr, actually, he looked a little bit like Drew Brees-esque out there, just moving the ball around, throwing it around the field. And, uh, you know, when you look at that crappy division with, with Bryce Young and Baker Mayfield and Tampa and uh, Atlanta, I guess they're going with Desmond Ritter. Yeah, like, uh, there's, there's no doubt the Saints should get to 10, 11 wins at least, win that NFC South, and maybe they can make some noise there. So we were talking about this. What do you make of how much a quarterback, especially if it's like a, a rookie or a, with a new coach or a new team or whatever, how much do you m- make of them in their playing time in the preseason games? Because it seems like you're never going to make everybody happy. People think they should never play. Then there's some people that say they want to see them play. But how, how do you balance it out? And, and what do you think uh, is the magic behind that of finding the right time amount amount of time for the star players to actually play in preseason? It's an interesting argument. I, I didn't realize earlier today SportsCenter put up a graphic and said uh, Dak Prescott has not since 2019 has not played in a preseason. I was like, wow, that's really strange. Uh, and maybe they're a little bit jaded because didn't, didn't Tony Romo get hurt in, in a preseason game? So yes. maybe maybe there's a little jinx there that they're trying to avoid. But I go back to Pat Mahomes. You remember last year's preseason game, the first one? Andy Reid, they're all the starters out there last year. Yesterday, the Chiefs playing the Saints, Pat Mahomes is out there. He's starting. All the, you know, almost all their guys are out there. So, you know, and they're the Super Bowl champs. So, you know, it's I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason on on to, you know, what the best approach is. I just uh, I look at the champs and go, man, Mahomes is doing it. So if he's doing it, I think everybody else should be doing it to find a way to get their starters in. Everybody's got their different philosophy. I've heard some teams. They, they say the preseason games are just an extension of practice. In fact, I heard somebody say the other day that, you know, they were they had practice number 11 and practice number 12 was going to be their preseason game. Like, they're just treating it like that. Uh, some teams said they get more out of the joint practices than they do the actual preseason games. Now, the one caveat that's different is usually in the joint practices, the quarterbacks still wear the red jersey, the don't-touch-me jersey, whereas in preseason games they can get hit. But it's it's crazy. A lot of coaching staff say you can get more out of those joint practices than you can in uh, in the actual preseason games. So I, I talked with somebody who's pretty high up in the NFL last week. He was telling me, you know, look, they, they like that they've gone from four to three preseason games. He said, give it another year or so. They're trimming this thing down to two. We're, we're going to be down those two preseason games uh, in the next couple of years, and we're going to be expanding the regular season. We're already went from 16 to 17. Uh, an 18-game regular season is on the horizon because there's so much money involved in it. And let's be honest, guys, for those who watched preseason games this weekend, be honest with yourself, how much did you watch of it? If you, you know, majority of us, we were flipping the, the channel by the end of the first quarter. So that tells you all you need to know where the dollars and cents go. 
they're going to keep trimming down on the preseason and keep adding more and more games to the regular Chris, there's also an element to this about players not really playing in the preseason, and then when the regular season starts, they don't look as crisp and ready to go. And so some of the teams struggle at the beginning of the season because of not getting that work in the preseason. It's true, but I wonder, you know, to my point, I just said going to a 17-game season, if we go to even more games, how many teams might just treat week one and week two like who cares you know we'll we'll get into the into the flow of the regular season and uh you know hopefully be hitting our stride by week three or week four i know it's the nfl and every week is important but man, you keep adding more and more games they're not as important anymore you can lose two games in a row and it doesn't matter um so yeah it's it's kind of an interesting thought and you know that we've seen in the past people who go slow through training camp or uh, don't play in the preseason, they suddenly, the soft tissue issues pop up, um, you know, whether it's hamstring, whether it's, you know, arm, what, whatever, we start to see some of those pop up too. So I don't know, man, like I said, I don't know what the right answer is to how much you, you go full go in, in preseason games and all that. I just know for the fans, it sucks. No one wants to watch the sixth string tight end catching passes in the fourth quarter from a quarterback that's going to be selling medicines in six months. Like it, it, it's bad football. It's not entertaining. Speaking with Chris Gordy of Sports Talk 790 and the Locked On SEC podcast here on the hotline. Uh, Gordy, uh, just uh, shifting gears a little bit because I uh, know that there's uh, a lot going on, but I did want to ask you about Major League Baseball and everything because it looks like, uh, of course, you're covering the Astros and where everything sets out right now. And uh, I know you've been uh, active on social media with, with the uh, Astros. Just What do you make of uh, where their current position is at in the Major League Baseball standings and how, and how they're feeling and looking going into uh, getting closer to uh, October? Yeah, the race is, is getting interesting. I mean, the, the freaking Rangers, uh, thankfully, the, the Giants did us a favor and beat them in extra innings yesterday. But the Rangers just will not slow down. Um, you know, it, I saw the, the three hottest teams since the All-Star break are the Rangers, the Astros, and the Mariners. And they're all in the same division. I mean, it, it's crazy what's happening uh, in terms of this division race and, and really fighting for a wild card. And, you know, the Astros are trying to close that gap. They're two, half, two and a half games still behind the Rangers in the AL West. There's some thought that eventually the Astros could, could catch fire and catch them, but they need the Rangers to lose some games. But, you know, we look at it right now, the Rangers and the Rays have the second-best record in the American League behind the Orioles. And, um, you know, we saw the Astros play the Orioles this past week. They took two out of three against them. But Baltimore's the real deal, man. They got some really good arms, some good, some good bats, and uh, – you know, it's, it's going to be really fascinating when we get to the postseason, guys, because we're talking about an Astros team with a ton of postseason experience. I mean, a lot of guys on the team have played for multiple World Series here in recent years. And you talk about an Orioles team that almost nobody on their team has had any postseason success. The Rangers, over half their roster, has very limited to little postseason experience. Um, you know, the Rays get there every year, but, you know, we'll see what them. Toronto has only played you know, a handful of pre, uh, postseason games in recent years. So uh, it'll be fascinating when we get to the postseason and teams punch their tickets. How much does experience matter? And how much does just getting hot at the right time matter? Because this point a year ago, we were all talking about the Braves and how hot they were. And, hey, the Phillies made a couple moves at the trade deadline. And look at what the Phillies did down the stretch. They got red hot. They get in the postseason. They go on a run. And they get to the World Series. And, you know, lost to the Astros in six games. But, Still a ridiculous accomplishment. And I feel like that's kind of where we are right now. Everybody is gushing over the Braves. The Braves this, the Braves that. And I just wonder, man, once we get to the postseason, none of that matters. Who's going to catch fire at the right time? 
And we could be talking about, you know, I don't know, maybe a, a Milwaukee Brewers-Toronto Blue Jays World Series or something that we didn't see coming um, because, you know, a couple teams got hot at the right time. So it's going to be fun, man. I, I hate that it always coincides with the start of football season because we kind of lose focus on baseball. But uh, the, these playoffs are going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Which situation looks better so far, Verlander with the Astros or Scherzer with the Rangers? Uh, they both look good so far. I mean, Verlander is, is, has been really good. His first start, he got no run support, but he was still outstanding. And then Friday night, he was really good, and he got the run support and uh, got picked up his first win back at Minute Maid Park. It was really weird. Like it, was, it was almost this thing where it was like he left, but it didn't feel like he left. Like He was only gone for a few months. And I saw there was a New York Post article saying, you know, trying to criticize him, saying Verlander was a diva. And then when you read through the, the details, it said he was ha- he was having an issue with one of the Mets front office people saying that their analytics department wasn't on par with the Astros. And I'm going, wait a minute, that's not Verlander being a diva. That's Verlander going, hey, why aren't you guys committed to winning with the Mets? Like you you spend all this money, but then you don't put the resources into you know actually having a decent analytics department and scouting reports and things like that. So. I just thought that was really funny. The headline was, you know, Verlander's a diva. And I'm like, no, he actually cares about winning, unlike the New York Mets. So, um, yeah, I think Verlander's been great. Scherzer was really good. He was shaky in his first outing in, like, a first inning. And then he settled down and had, like, I don't know, what was it, double-digit strikeouts or something crazy. So, I think both guys are good. The only problem is Verlander, for the most part, has, has a great track record of staying healthy. Scherzer, in recent years, not so much. So, that will be something fascinating, too. If this division race gets down to half a game going into the last week of the season and, the, the you know, the Astros are still rolling with Verlander and the Rangers don't have Scherzer anymore, that one could be a difference maker. Well, before you get out of here, Gordy, I know you tweeted about it and we talked about it. What would you make of the Johnny Manziel documentary on Netflix? Yeah, it was sad. I mean, it, it was fun to relive those memories and all that, but it's, just, it's a sad story. Uh, what and give you guys a little peek behind the curtain. What they don't talk about there is, you know, Johnny Johnny Vanzell liked partying, liked drinking, all that. What, what nobody talks about is his coaching staff was the same way. I mean, they interviewed Cliff Kingsbury in this thing. That whole crew came from the University of Houston. It was Kevin Sumlin, uh, Dana Holgerson was there at the time, Cliff Kingsbury, all those guys. I'm not going to go on a limb and say they were alcoholics, but those guys like to drink. They like to party. They like to do it. And so, you know, it's like this funny thing where, like, oh, man, Zell, look at what he was doing. Well, he was only doing what he learned. His coaching staff was the same way. Uh, Someone in that whole crew. So, you know, look, it it is what it is. I wish he would have had a little bit more leadership from his head coach, from his parents, from his family and all that, that maybe could have intervened because, you know, I I really thought his skill set was going to translate to the NFL. Unfortunately, it just didn't, but – just a sad story and kind of how it ended, and it ended kind of abruptly. We didn't get really much resolution, but, man, what a story that was. That freshman year, post-freshman year, you win that Heisman. I mean, he's literally on a private jet, sitting courtside at every event. Like, what what a life we all dream of, um, you know, that we could have had when we were in college. But a uh, really good documentary for those who didn't catch it. I encourage you to check it out. Yeah, it's just a uh, thing you don't really think about is like when you talk about he got to the NFL, he felt like he accomplished everything he wanted to. You know, he just like he partied, he got the celebrities, he got the fame and riches, and it's like he just lost the love for football at the end of it, it seemed like. So, yeah, crazy story, but a great Netflix documentary and uh, definitely one worth watching. But, hey, Gordy, as always, man, we appreciate you joining us. Great stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Gordy. Got your stuff on Sports Talk 790 down there in Houston as well as the Locked On SEC podcast. Have a great week, my man, and I know we'll be catching up with you here soon, all right?
Yeah, John, when you get famous, just keep me in your entourage, okay? 